stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! So on Independence Day, we decided to be independent from all forms of motorsport. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. America! Sincerely apologise for that introduction. <laughs> I'm Andre Harrison, and welcome to episode 93 of Motorsport 101. It's a beautiful, uh, cloudy day in uh, in London, England, but uh, I no longer have eardrums. It's great. Um, but in the meantime, I'm very happy to announce, as we record this on Tuesday, Independence Day, the original, well, not so original, gang is back together. The three of us is here. It's me. Uh, Mr. RJ O'Connell, welcome back, sir. Hi. Everybody who's been wondering where I've been, I got quote-unquote real jobs, and I am struggling through them. So it's great <laughs> to be back on the show. Really great. I, I, I really needed this, though. Like, thanks for having me back. You're welcome back anytime. You're like, you're, like you're almost caught up to Matt in terms of appearances now, RJ. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> he's getting there slowly and, and in the blue corner and somebody console him send him your man hugs your your boxes of chocolates and swipe right on tinder oh dear because because <laughs> ryan king's motorsport girlfriend uh, is, is sadly been is now off the market um ryan i don't know what to tell you man i'm really sorry well, it looks like I'm not watching skiing this year, guys. <laughs> you could you could just be happy and supportive. You know, oh yeah, that's, you... that's always an option. <laughs> that that is also an option. An option. I, I'll wa- I still watch, but yeah, it's not the same. As a guy that still is decent friends with four of my five ex girlfriends in life, let me tell you, that's a fucking overrated thing. <laughs> <laughs> Take it from me. Um, but, uh, yeah, Paul, so if anyone wants to send Ryan King suggestions for future girlfriends, um, feel free to tweet them at us, at motorsport underscore 101. Um, I, I have to say, though, like, I, I hear Ali Raceman is still available, so I'm still I'm still have a chance, you guys. <laughs> Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. Like, call me. <laughs> Like, these, are, it, it was, these, these shots are these shots are of true Ennis Cantor quality. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Ennis Cantor from ninety feet out, sort of quality. Like like that. That's my chances right there. The chances of Ennis Cantor hitting a long distance shot from a hundred feet out. I, I, I fancy my chances personally. Um, shoot your shot, Drake. Shoot your shot. But um, oh, by the way, if, if you want to mention Simona, feel free. Like that's like landslide four to seven favorite right now with the bookies yes um, <laughs> because Simona is just basically like that chick in high school that's two years older than you and is still as cool <laughs> as shit and you felt honored that she was just talking to you like okay that was also me in high school with like several girls that talked to me from year 11 when I was in year nine but that's besides the point <laughs> see my my tip to just avoiding the stress of dating in high school was to just be so socially awkward and inept that it would never come up in discussion anyway 
Just don't, just don't do what I did, which was date a girl that was in the year below you because everybody took the piss out of you. Like we were two weeks apart on, on like on birthdays, and yet the, my entire year group fucking rinsed me for it. It was like, oh, you couldn't get anyone in your own year group, Dre. And I'm like, she's born in September. I'm born in August. What more do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on before this podcast turns into a therapy session. <laughs> um, basically, you can find this real quick. We're on motorsport101.net. More written cool stuff on there very, very soon. I'm currently writing a MotoGP mid-season review, so keep an eye on that in the coming days. Um, we are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. For those asking what happened to the second debrief about double jeopardy, um, unfortunately, a third-party company argued that they owned footage in that video of the Hamilton Vettel crash and actually gave us a copyright strike. What a bastard. Um, yeah, that's, that's so why you got to use pictures, Ray. Always safe as bet. Okay, my bad. My bad. I own this just, one. You could just do, like, drawings in Microsoft Paint. <laughs> drawings yeah. in Microsoft. Dramatic reenactments. There's, like like there's, like, a silver blob of a car... Uh, being slammed into by a red blob of a car. I'm, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call Jim or paint it, and he'll fix it for me, basically. Um, but yes, that's my bad. I hold my hands up to that one. I apologize. Given the news in it is already kind of out of date now, I'm probably not even gonna bother re-uploading it. Yeah, um, we don't need it. We don't need it anymore. We got podcast highlights back coming up soon as well. Um, I think by the time you're listening to this show. I think Nor would have patched up the one about Salber and Manisha Kelton being out of the door. So that'll be on YouTube probably by the time this goes out. Um, so yeah, my bad, you guys. My bad. And, and Ziggo Sports, fuck you. Um, <laughs> from, the, from the bottom of my heart. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you want to follow us personally on Twitter, we are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King. And that RJ O'Connell. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, which has got a new fancy looking makeover. It's pretty Get sweet. Give us that money. Give us that money. Give us all your sweet money. Um, shout out to Ben Corcoran as well, our latest $5 a month Patreon backer. Enjoy your early access, sir, to both this show and to Mike Live as well, which will also be out later this week. Talking all the news from the Saxon Ring and more silly season stuff as well. We've got the breaking news today that Jack Miller is on the way to Pramac by the looks of it from Mark VDS. So uh, Jack asks, after all the faith the Honda's putting him, is either to go to a Ducati. Well done, Jack. You rebel. Um, which So yeah, more on that on Bike Live later this week. So, without further ado, and as we fund King's latest trip to the therapist, let's get into keeping it 101. A lot of things to talk about. It's been a while. Who's leveled up since I've been gone? Um, Sebastian Vettel, turned 30 yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that pretty much is the perfect 30th birthday present ever, is to just um, not get your results stripped away from you by the FIA. More on that later. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll get back to that in my keeping it one of I've, I've actually ventured some cool shit to talk about because it was Seb's 30th birthday yesterday. But uh, 
Apparently, RJ and King have gone to the movies lately. And, um, yeah, this see... never happens. This actually yeah. like never happens that I like go to the movies and I actually work at a movie theater. But there was one movie that was coming out that summer that caught my interest, if only for the reason of the fact that it was a musical heist movie directed by the dude who did Gone in 60 Seconds. Yes, Gone in 60 Seconds. Baby Driver. Gone in 60 Seconds, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. Edgar Some good Wright movies, struck, though. Edgar Wright struck gold again. Please go see Baby Driver. It is the most fun you will ever have in the movies this summer. Probably better than a lot of other summer blockbusters that will not be named. Some Transformers. of them may be involving giant robots. Yes, some of them may involve um, comic book superheroes. I really enjoyed the movie. I thought, first of all, the cinematography in this was just beautiful. And the way that they interwove like all of the music that the main character... Uh, oh listens my. to on his getaway drive was just wonderful. Like, not you get not one but at least two gunfights that were set to different songs, where yes. all all the all the bullets that were being shot were in time to music. Yes, the gunfights were probably some of the best I've seen in terms of just how aesthetically pleasing they were just to watch. <laughs> yes, Kevin Spacey um, plays a wonderful, wisecracking, snarky boss of crime, and Jamie Foxx is also brilliant as, like, this really on-edge, loose cannon sort of dude who's always looking to fight somebody. John Hamm is just brilliant and sinister, and also young Ansel Elgort plays a wonderful job as the main character. Like, this is probably the only movie that I will acknowledge him for. Fuck Fault in the Stars. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I want to be generally honest. Up until this movie, I didn't really see anything more of Ansel Elgort. Like, like if I had to say, like, before this movie, I thought he was, like, an ABC family kind of quality actor. But after this movie, oh, wow. I think he's, like, a bona fide, like, movie star now. <laughs> Oh my goodness, it's only, and he's only 23 years old. Y'all, can we just talk about the fact that this movie being set in Atlanta just like weaves all the way through downtown and yet the traffic is still like manageable. Like I've never seen the 75-85 interchange look this um, empty in the middle of the day. I know, I know it's got to be somehow nav uh, negotiable uh, during the middle of a heist, but my God. Yeah, there were certainly cars there, but a lot fewer cars than you're used to. <laughs> and, and you know the movie is just Georgia is all hell when you see the, when you see uh, Baby, the main character, making uh, making sandwiches for his uh, foster dad with uh, with Publix peanut butter and bread. <laughs> like, like they made that authenticity just. It was just perfect, and God, just God's all sake. the different cars that he gets into trouble with. It starts off with. It starts off with this bright red Subaru WRX that he's just sliding through the back alleys yeah, in think... the interstate like he's a fucking t prime uh, Richard Burns uh, <laughs> tackling Rally Great Britain. Yeah, that <laughs> opening scene of the movie, that first heist, that that in res media heist with the with the Subaru uh, WRX is probably going to be one of the car chase scenes that you're going to see played for like the next 10, 15 years. I couldn't believe wow. that 360 that he did between <laughs> all the different trucks in the parking lots. Not to give away too much of the movie, but that, like, oh, this thanks. is just the tip of the iceberg <laughs> of how great this is. It's a wonderful, right. it's a wonderful movie. And if you, 
if you just kind of look at it as just another heist movie with a played out heterosexual white forbidden romance trope in it you're not going to enjoy it as much but if you just look at it for just the fun time that it is a wonderful mix of great cinematography great car chases great music wonderful characters and just an overall well-written story you're going to love this movie please go see it it's the most fun to, it's the most fun two hours you'll ever have at the movies this summer yeah, I, I think I think a lot of it is inter- like the characters definitely make the movie like the characters and the chain like the story might as well not matter that much because it is like again like you said so trophy and a bit cliche that he has quote unquote one last job, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it is definitely worth watching to see how the characters interact with each other and the car chases, even though the last car chase really isn't a car chase it's like a car fight, but yeah, we'll get over that. <laughs> Mm, interesting stuff. I must admit, I was really intrigued by. It. I love the fact that he uses an old school iPod. I think that's fantastic. Like he's made the really old. I used I used to have one of those iPods, and they're just the coolest thing ever. Um, but yeah, I I, I I've, the reviews are glowing about this. Like everyone I trust when it comes to movies, like Jeremy Johns and you know and whatnot, and Chris Stuckman have said glowing things about this movie. So I'm definitely going to go check it out. I've got I've got the whole weekend off this for for once. I've never had a weekend off in like the year I've been I've been working at William Hill. Like Boy. Boy, I, I, I know I'll, that feeling. Outside of the designated week's holiday, I've never had a weekend off until now, so I might spend the Saturday afternoon down my local cinema checking out Baby Driver. Um, so yeah, I look forward to that. But uh, praise Jesus, it is Sebastian Vettel's 30th birthday yesterday. Yay! Yay! Yeah. What did you get yourself, Sebastian? Did you get yourself a $50 gift card to Amazon.com? I wish. Um, <laughs> I didn't spoil myself that much. It, like, there's no good Vettel merch out there these days. Um, unfortunately, Lewis Hamilton has the merch game on lock, um, pretty much at this point. But hey, I'm not complaining. So let's talk about something like, so like, King. What's your favorite Sebastian Vettel moment? Given he's now turned the big three zero. Ooh, favorite Vettel moments. Ooh, oh, it had to be the the Vettel slam Canadian Grand Prix when he lapped the entire field but the podium to win the Canadian Grand Prix God. was that twenty four was that twenty thirteen yeah was it was twenty thirteen that might not oh, have even God. been his best beat him down of the season I, I still oh, think God. that goes to Singapore oh dude, lord S- dude S- Singapore was, was. dude was driving with uh, dude was driving with nitrous on lock the whole time and everybody else was just driving <laughs> passenger cars. Yeah, that was. I'm pretty sure Vettel finished that race 35 seconds ahead of Fernando Alonso, who finished in second. Which was, given the race had a safety car in the middle, I think it was Daniel Ricciardo who had put himself out of the wall. And then there was a safety car. And after the safety car came out, Vettel was almost two seconds a lap faster than anybody else. It was. Beat him down! Yeah. Um, I, I, I still, to this day, one day want to make a video in the style of John Boys about how ridiculous that beatdown was. Yeah, um, like, look, looking back, a lot of people say that the 2013 season was like, ah, uh, you know, Red Bull's OP. But, like, after the 2012 season, you really couldn't say that. Like, going into 2013, you didn't expect Vettel to be that dominant. Yeah, because it's like, even when... Even in the first half of the season where, like, Ferrari was still in play a couple of races in and Lotus won the opening round with Kimi Raikkonen, like, Vettel didn't really make very many mistakes. He was always on the podium, pretty much. So even by the time, even before the car was super OP after the summer break, 
he was already like 45 points out in front, which is just how crazy it was. Like, people, like It was like Fernando Alonso the year before where, yeah, we had seven different winners in the first seven rounds, but Fernando was a consistent top three dude, and he had a massive lead by the summer break, and it ended up all going to shit for him. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, oh, like Singapore 2013 is ridiculous. That that was a crazy one. Um, I, I, speaking of Singapore, the 2015 poll app was frigging crazy. That one was, that was fist pumps in the Harrison bedroom right there. That was the, it's time to go home and where he's already got pole position at this point. Nobody you know, else can stop him. And then he sets another ridiculous lap into the 37s. And that was, it was just so hype when that happened. Call me a hipster, but I still think my favorite Vettel moment was his very first win in 2008 at Monza in a Toro Rosso. Like, it can be argued that yes, that yes, it was a it was a mock up of a Red Bull in 2007 with a much better engine than the Red Bull had last year. That was still just three years away from being a minority, and this was a 20 year old driver winning a race in a year that was largely dominated by Ferrari, McLaren, and BMW Sauber. Yes. That's still a monumental upset under any circumstances, and that really signified the turning point in Vettel's career where he went from being a pretty intriguing prospect to a genuine star of the future. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, go on. It was pretty much, for Toro Rosso, it was a season in three parts. Like, up until Monaco, it looked like his teammate, Sebastian Bourdais, was the better driver. Then things started shifting it. At, at after Monaco, where they started getting closer, and it's like, okay, they're they're just as good as each other, which is a bit surprising because you know Sebastian Bourdais won international Formula Three thousand, what is now Formula Two, four time IndyCar cha- like four time Champ Car champion, and the worst four time Champ Car champion on the <laughs> yeah clearly uh, yeah and so, the best so the fact that Vettel was equal to him was pretty surprising. Then Monza happened where. It was pretty much, man, it's it's a story of two races where it's like, man, Vettel is a phenomenal driver to, man, Bourdais F1 career is over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's, yeah, it's, he, it's, had, he had to drive the pants off that car just to salvage a fourth place finish, which really... Really, truly, could have been a podium finish, maybe even a win from up from Vettel's uh, from up underneath Vettel. Yeah, boy, they were so unlucky that day. That was that was cruel, cruel fate for him that day. But I love about that. I, I dug the video out of that the other day. But James Allen absolutely gushes over Sebastian in the run up to the flag. It, it, it's so cute because he talks about how the fact that you know Brit, like Vettel was a proper Anglophile, big fan of Little Britain, big fan of Monty Python growing up, and you know he's, he's, he's like he's infectious. He's such a nice guy. I remember the story that Martin Brundle said is that well, wait, wait, like when I, I, he said and I quote. Oh, when you interview him, he's like, he, he shakes your hand and he thanks you for the interview. He's such a nice guy. He's given F1 drivers a terrible name. <laughs> oh, so, like, yeah, the, the media heel turn was still three years away. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, they, they, were, they were plotting the seeds for it, King. They were plotting the seeds, like the mega powers coming together. In their <laughs> they, they, were, they were plotting their seeds early on. Like, like, like Alan and Brundle were gushing over how likable this kid was. And it was like, oh, my God, what an amazing moment for F1 this is. Like, I think that is the first true, genuine freak win. I mean, maybe Pastor Maldonado in between 
in 2012 Spain. Might be the last time he had such a shock win in F1 since then. Because I can't think off, off the top of my head that really screams, oh, this was a this this was such a freak result. Yeah, like um, maybe, maybe you could put maybe, maybe Australia 2009. But besides yeah, that, because nobody yeah, knew what Brian sure. GP was bringing to the table until that first week of the season. True, they were thinking, true. oh, they were just going for glory runs uh, and testing just to get some headlines. Nope, actually, they're pretty doggone fast. And they got Jensen Button behind the wheel, which kind of helped. Um, <laughs> like, like, like prime Jensen Button. But, um, yeah, like, for me, that one's up there. Um, Abu Dhabi 2012 was one of my favorites. Um, oh, my goodness. The, 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 this, like, the singer, like, the Abu Dhabi comeback, which pretty much saved this season. Um, for those that may have forgotten, his car had an illegally low amount of fuel in it in qualifying, so he had to start from the back. He was disqualified from qualifying. So Red Bull were like, fuck it, we'll start from the pit lane, get him out safe, and then basically just go racing. He overtakes about 45 times in that race. He had to go through the field twice because he damaged his front wing um, in the Daniel Ricciardo incident during the first safety car where basically he accused Ricciardo of swerving too much. He drives into the DRS sign because, of course, he does. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he had to... And, of course, to finish it off, he had that amazing pass on Jensen Button for the podium around the outside of the second lengthy straight, and I was just like, hype! Yeah, between that race and Brazil in 2012, where Vettel got shunted down the order after that first lap collision, that kind of blew up the myth of, oh, Sebastian Vettel doesn't have any racecraft. All he knows how to do is just start from the pole and consolidate a win from the lead. Yeah, not so much. Yeah, I, I think looking yeah. back, like if it isn't now, within a couple of years' time, 2012 is going to be remembered as one of the great Formula One seasons. Oh, it's an incredible season. It's an it is an incredible friggin' season from the unpredictable winners to the dramatic. Remember, like Valencia was like felt like a real turning point when Vettel's alternator broke, and then Grosjean could have won that race, but he had an alternator failure, and then you had Fernando winning from eleventh on the grid. Yeah. You had. You had Pastor Maldonado and Hamilton having the collision that really turned people against Pastor Maldonado after his heroics, and you know Schumacher and Weber coming up through the field. I think I think I think Schumacher that was his last podium in Formula One yeah, that day as well. Podium. Yeah, I think it's 170th and final F1 podium, something like that. You had Spa and the Grosjean incident, which again caused the race ban for Grosjean. Something something Banhammer something something. Oh, is that punishment right? Etc. <laughs> Um, of course, then, then Vettel turned the screw in Asia, winning all four rounds over there on the Asian calendar with Singapore. Hamilton pretty much losing two race wins from leading positions because of r- various McLaren car failures. And, of course, those two comebacks that pretty much won Vettel the title. It's it's an incredible friggin' season. I mean, God. even and the small did, things were fun. Like, like we the didn't mids- even talk about, like, Nico Hulkenberg nearly winning the Brazilian Grand Prix or the battle for 10th place in the championship coming down to the last race yes. in a non-scoring position. Or, or Sergio Perez's breakout season. Or the <laughs> the mid-season test of Mugello where, like, a lot of drivers said, yeah, we want to we wanna have the Italian Grand Prix here instead of Monza. Or... In Abu Dhabi, when when Nico Rosberg launched over in the rain, Cartha can, which led to the oh, the God. cucumber interview. Oh God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh like that twenty top season was amazing. But uh, I'm, I, I trust me in that. I mean, that was a season that for the first time ever there was six world champions on the grid as well. Yeah, like that was the first time it happened in F one history where we had six different world champions and. 
like Vettel came out on top in what was probably the most stacked F1 field ever. And yeah, I'm not I'm like I, I will always hold on to that one probably more than the other three uh, as as the Vettel fan in here. Like for me, I've always said 2012 was my favorite number three. Like because in F1, like the third one seems to really cement you as like an all time you know an all time great Hall of Fame level driver. And him passing Schumacher on that last race in Brazil, and almost like the passing of the torch moment, given that like Schumacher was the first guy to congratulate him when he got out of the car. Um, I still have that saved as my as my phone wallpaper because it's it just meant a lot to me, and um, that that was that was pretty special. Um, I, I, one more one I'm going to point out as well: Malaysia 2015. Um, first one for Ferrari. First one for Ferrari. Just four- in second race. Yeah, second race on the board. His 40th career victory. Um, and, yeah, me actually, me, and I'm not proud of admitting this, but me <laughs> bawling my eyes out on a Skype call to Ryan King as he watched it live at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning in the and British time. And it inspired time. one of the best F1 gifts in recent memory. Yes. <laughs> Cota brought up the, the, the jumping Vettel celebration. <laughs> Just on Just... an infinite loop. Yes, that that will never ever get old to me. But I I can shamelessly admit I've watched Malaysia 2015 about six times. Yeah, <laughs> like at first after Malaysia 2015, it seemed a bit bittersweet because it was such a shock win. It wasn't like a surprise win compared to like you know his first mm. win, but it was a bit bittersweet because like the rest of 2015 it was a slog. Like Ferrari did not yeah. compete, and it was it almost felt like 2015 might be like. Vettel's only win at Ferrari. Thank God it, it wasn't. Yeah, he had two more that season alone, which was which was kind of crazy. I mean, it was because I remember that day, and I remember the podiums. Eddie Jordan did the podium interviews that day, and I remember um, basically Nico Rosberg saying "Game on for the championship." And like, I love that Nico Rosberg, being the very genuine guy that he is, was like, "Yeah, let's have a fight for this title. It's great." And then like they curb stomped us and Merckx won the next eight races. <laughs> Oh, I was like, yeah, thanks for the, yeah about about that false hope, you guys. Like, it is such a false hope Grand Prix because the whole panic was believing, yeah, Ferrari's back. You know, they're they're going to challenge for the title. Merck's lucky underdogs, Ferrari, <laughs> which is which just doesn't make any sense. Like Ferrari and the underdogs all of a sudden, and it's like, nope, just didn't happen that this year. This is almost what? as inconceivable as the New York Yankees, an underdog team built around youth and promise and prospects instead of high-priced superstars. Isn't that right, King? <laughs> yes, it is surprising that we live in a world where that is the New York Yankees. And Weird. the Chicago Cubs are now the defending champions and overlords of baseball, representing possibly the evil umpire, depending on who you who you talk to. Or, or what part of Chicago you live in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah. Happy 30th birthday, Sebastian. And, um, yeah, hope you hope you don't celebrate too hard, given the um, interesting events, which we'll get to very, very shortly. But um, there's some of my favorite Vettel moments right there. Just don't mention Canada 2011, or else I'll be forced to rip your head off, um, basically. So, without further ado, we've keeping it 101 tied up in the books quite nicely. Let's talk a little bit more about Break Chocolate shall we?
welcome to your Break Chicago news update featuring Lee TV announcer RJ O'Connell. Take it yes, away, and we, and we come back to find you in the in the latest update of the never-ending Break Chicago saga between Sebastian Vettel and Lucas Hamilton after the 2017 Azerbaijan Azeri European Baku Grand Prix well done Baku and the latest of a never-ending cycle of 24/7 365 news updates. <laughs> That, that's probably the best Olbermann you're getting without somehow devo- going into a tangent about how Derek Jeter is a, a pretty overrated. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. That, that was beautifully done, RJ O'Connor. Well played, sir. But yes, you've probably already seen the news by now, given the the, the verdict of it was, was front page news on Twitter yesterday. He's and, and free! This matter is over. From a sporting standpoint, we're done here, folks. It's over. It's basically. not done. But it's done! It's it's, it's never going to be done, of course. But it's done, uh, basically, for all intents and purposes, as basically Sebastian Vettel showed up, admitted he was a very naughty boy, fully apologized to the FIA and for those in question, and there will be no further punitive damage to Sebastian Vettel's in the results of Baku and going forward. We're done here, folks. No further action. Um, yeah, certainly th- certainly, this isn't going to be dragged out in future races uh, for the rest of the season to come and be. No. Right? Right? No, no. no. Right? There's, there's, there's no way in hell Sky bring this up again. There's, there's no, no, no fucking way. Um, God, God help minute. us if the Driver 5 actually reaches its targeted destination. Or if, or if Sebastian Vettel wins the British Grand Prix next weekend, then uh... Ooh, we're talking like Survivor Ooh. Series '97 levels of heat. Oh, <laughs> all it, all it would be missing was Sebastian Vettel taking the Union Jack and flossing, flossing between his legs with it. Oh God! Die, oh, Sebby, God. die! Oh God! If, 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 if... If that happens, I, I will fl- I will fly to Silverstone and offer my hand in marriage immediately, just because I'll be sitting there laughing. Like, honestly, trust me. If you think I'm unbearable on Twitter most of the time, if Sebastian Vettel wins at Britain, you're all going to hate my guts. <laughs> like I, I'm just throwing this out there in advance. <laughs> Unless you're a Vettel fan, in which case you're going to absolutely revel in this, like I am. Because I'm, I'm just going to go full heel on Twitter, King. I'm just going to destroy everybody. Just, just roast everyone. King, like, how, King, should we set the over/under on how many blocks are going to be thrown up by the end of that afternoon? Should that happens? Uh, two dozen. Two dozen. Two dozen. Take the over. Take the over. <laughs> take the over. <laughs> I'm offering the over at one to two. Um, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, it's it's that's going to be fun. But. Um, Let's just get into this a little bit more seriously. Okay, Vettel goes in there, basically apologizes to the FIA for, for what he's done. No, no, I no, it was, most... it was the, the other way around. Uh, yeah. The FIA cleared him of being punished any further as long right. as he apologized. So, that was, are you sorry, Seb? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, all, all's well as ends well. Uh, there are, yeah, there basically... are also other you know caveats involved, but I'm pretty sure we'll get into that later. Yeah, like little things like I don't think you can advertise road safety for the FIA for the rest of the year. All punishment, um, <laughs> and I think he has to do a few like driver briefings in like Formula Two and Formula Three. He's, he's got to be a really good boy. Like it's basically community service, basically. Yeah, basically. Like one of the reasons which people you know fail to bring up why Vettel was you know 
deemed to be punished sufficiently enough was because he's been an advocate like he's been a part of the FIA's action for road safety program for for a, since its inception and he's been pretty much up there in terms of Formula 1 driver involvement I think only a couple of drivers have been more actively involved than he has yeah so in other words he's he, he's been a positive ambassador for the sports in the, in that sense so yeah, that's. I didn't realize that. To be fair, actually, so that's a that's a factor I didn't even take into account. But uh, I mean, here's the debate on everybody's lips now. Like, was this right? Was like, uh, like, was should this be the end of the line? In in like, did, should this be the end of the matter? And let's be real here. You're probably in one of either two camps. You're probably in either camp A that thinks, you know, why are we still talking about this? This was a silly incident. He's been punished. It's over. Like Jensen Button was on Twitter earlier this week. Or you're in camp to those that still think this was this, this wasn't harsh enough. He should have been given at least a race ban or at least a disqualification from this race, etc. What camp are you guys in? Uh, I'm in camp one, but there's like a lot of asterisks involved. Yeah, I think I think I think that pretty much describes me. For one, I think a lot of people do raise valid points to the fact that this this decision might have been influenced by the fact that they they don't want to they don't want a championship fight uh, decided on a ticky tack penalty for one person being penalized. And there and there's a fair mm. point to be made that you know maybe if not for the fact that the incident involved to uh, championship protagonist Romain Grosjean wouldn't have gotten that one race ban after being involved in an incident spot Frankershop, which Very I true. still don't think was entirely his fault. No. Maybe if maybe if Dan Tickton doesn't retaliate against the championship rival, he is uh, suspended for just one year as opposed to two but, with the second year on probation. Uh, again, Dan Tickton's incident is similar, but vaguely, because under the safety car, he overtook ten cars to hit his target. <laughs> Bit of a difference. Yeah, so so in that incident, the MSA clearly could see that there was intent in his in his actions, and he also put other people at at risk by him going full race speed under safety car conditions. Sebastian Vettel banged a wheel. There's the difference, but um, yeah, I mean, you don't you don't even have to go that much farther back in other sports to where you have the whole Joey Logano versus Matt Kenseth controversy from a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Uh. Like, like here's the funny thing about it: you talk about it not having an influence on a title fight. The funny thing is, if they had disqualified Vettel, they'd be going into Austria on equal points. Like, mm. like there's it would have been a like, Vettel is ahead by 14 points right now. It's a 14-point swing because Vettel finished fourth in, in Baku. That's 12 points. It would have pushed Hamilton up a spot, so he gets 12 instead of his original 10. They go to Austria. They're going to Austria level pegging. That, that's the funny thing about it. Like, you can actually balance the books and, and send them into Austria on equal footing. It's, it, it just it's just to spice things up a bit, uh, a little bit. If you want to, if you want to go that go down that road with that. Um, where do I sit on this? Well, I've, I've, I sit on the camp of I don't believe in double jeopardy. Uh, I've said this for some time. I mean, uh, it was in the Dre brief I had briefly up talking about this where he's, he'd already been punished. He'd already been punished. And as King will allude to, these weren't no run-of-the-mill stewards. These, are, these were very, very experienced, good stewards 
Like, like who king, for, for instance? Yeah, I'll run down the three stewards for this race. Number one, arguably the lead steward for this race, uh, Paul Gajar. Uh, he was uh, he's president. He's currently president of the FIA Hill Climb. Uh, commission, but formerly he was the the sporting commissioner for the former international Formula 3000, and he was all he's been a Formula One steward since 1995. Most notably, he was involved in the decision to disqualify Michael Schumacher from the 1997 World Championship. Also on the panel, we have uh, Enzo Spano. He's president of the of the Venezuelan Sporting Commission. Oh, nice! Yes, and he's. Uh, he was awarded. He, he's he's been a steward since 1995. He was awarded his FIA super license in 03. So he's been a Formula One steward since 2003, and the driver steward for this race, Formula, former Formula One driver Danny Sullivan. Danny Sullivan, you know the American, most notably most notably won the Indy 500 under you know the spin and win 500, where he did a 360 spin and then overtook Mario Andretti to win the 500. He's also a former kart champion as well. So, yeah, I think you're looking at over 40 years of stewarding experience between them there. So these guys know what they're doing, and like, here's my take on this. Like I said, I don't believe in punishing a guy twice for the same offence. We saw it in Canada with Daniel Kvyat, where he was very unlucky to have basically been on the wrong side of a stewarding mistake, where they they inadvertently gave out the wrong penalty where they gave him a drive-through, and then it was like, oh, wait, we gave him the wrong punishment. Give him a 10-second time penalty as well. Oh, at it, which was just bullshit, and Kvyat was just sitting, was, was rightly very angry at that. Um, it would have been, so we could have had two races in a row with a double jeopardy decision here from the FIA or, or, or involvement in that. I I can speak from a confident position of non-bias here, and I'm really happy to do that. <laughs> It's not meant to be that funny, King. Shut up. Sorry. Uh, All right. <laughs> sh- oh, <soul>. <laughs> But um, no, like I, I would have. Un- I was. I said it on Twitter last night. I was bracing myself for a ban. I was bracing myself for a disqualification. I thought it was gonna, he was going to get DQ'd. I didn't realize, to be fair, that this wasn't going to be like the official punishment meeting. And we're gonna, they were just going to see if whether there was need for a further tribunal meeting later on in the season. Yeah, like, Wh- which there still could ready. be. I was already ready yeah. to start up the Antonio Giovinazzi winning the Austrian Grand Prix in a Ferrari. <laughs> you <three>. already did. <laughs> No, okay. Yeah, yeah there's still, there, it still could go to the tribunal. Like, the FIA is clear to many wrongdoing, but other people could, you know, file an appeal, which it doesn't, based on what Toto Wolf has said, it doesn't seem like Mercedes will do that. But for the most part, someone else could file an appeal. There's still, like, a 15, like, a 15-day window. Oh, so well, you're uh, telling me this isn't over? Uh, unless Toto Wolf decides that it's not over, which, yeah. This is Toto Wolf we're talking about here. He's about as trustworthy as a broken toothpick. I, I, I don't. I. I it, it wouldn't surprise me if Merck's went for an appeal because they have nothing to lose and everything to gain by calling an appeal. I say no, no. You have another look at this. <laughs> <laughs> I demand you look at this again. Now, Hamilton's headrest was clearly ruined by Vettel's bumping of wheels. Disqualify that man. Um, or something like those lines. Because you know what? Toto's the sort of person that says one thing and then does another. So, you know, it's... it's. I, 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 I look at Merckx with maximum s- with cynicism, real, to be honest with you. But 
I think... Actually, let, correction, uh, brief correction. Okay, the F... Because of the FI's decision yesterday, no one can file an appeal. So, thank God. Lit. Lit. Oh, uh, okay, so it actually is over. Yeah, so, like, worst case scenario, this could have dragged on to the end of August. Oh, good. <laughs> it won't. Thank God. Um, but, yeah, like... I, I don't know. I was bracing myself for a DQ. I was expecting the worst here. I thought... We, I thought, as a Vettel fan, we got lucky on this one. Um, I've seen worse out of the FIA, and I don't underestimate what they can do. So I will take it. Um, but I do agree with a lot of those people in the media, like Jonathan Noble, that are coming out and saying, well, this... Okay, this we can learn from this, in that maybe the FIA needs to be a bit more open about its its discipline process, about its stewarding in general, because we've always given the stewards grief uh, over inconsistencies in how they in how they discipline drivers for incidents and whatnot. And Martin Brundle made the point last week that, you know, it was a it was a cheeky tap under the safety car more than anything else and that we've seen much worse at full racing speed go without a punishment. And, you know, maybe some nuance there is required. I don't know. But I do definitely agree with what some of the guys in the media are saying that, you know, I think there needs to be a bit more of an open book about, you know, where where these incidents stand, what determines what punishment and just better communication with the fans because I think that I think a lot of this could have been avoided simply by saying we will investigate this incident after the race yes rather than waiting 15 laps and no waiting five laps and then giving Vettel a 10 second stop and go for dangerous driving which on the screen sure makes sense but it's also kind of vague like what was a dangerous driving for in question we don't know the, the decision making process behind that we don't know what possessed him to think of that? Because I know, like, AUMS in Germany was saying they were thinking about a DQ. Like, that was on the table and they were considering it, but it never actually happened. And, you know, it goes on. Like, the press are going to speculate and they're going to try and put two and two together and get five. It's yeah. one of those things like, where, yeah. It, under the oh. circumstances, it really seemed like they were considering a DQ. Up until Hamilton had problems with his headrest. Then, they, then it almost felt like their hand was forced. They didn't want to give Sebastian Vettel the easy win, which under no like under no circumstances should that affect your decision making on the immediate outcome of the race. Yeah, like for an incident that serious, like in in, in in Formula One these days, if there's an incident that one or more cars has been retired from as a result, the stewards nine times out of ten will investigate it after the race. Like we saw it with Carlos Sainz in Canada just just two rounds ago, where yeah, he was obviously he was deemed at fault for the Grosjean clash. Obviously, with subsequently the Massa retirement that came as a result of that, and subsequently he was given three places as a grid penalty down the road. Yeah. And that's what happens when there's an incident with, where with at least one retired car at the end of it, they'll always investigate it after the race. I think this was a case where that probably should have happened here, where they should have said, okay. We're going to look at this after the race, but I don't think the shoots wanted to rock the boat by having Vettel win a questionable race. Like, oh, is Vettel going to keep his win, basically? And that could have opened up in another different entire, you know, can of worms where that's concerned. But um, I think that would have been better for everybody involved, at least that way. We, 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 you were given clear instructions, to, like, like we've noted it, we're looking at it. 
Um, and we're going to look at it after the race, you know, where we have more evidence available. We don't want to make an instant call on this. We want to take our time and, and you know, get this right, basically. Yeah, like, I, um, I think you know, one of the biggest problems is the, the transparency part, where pretty much they don't have to explain what they've done. Yes, the FI no. puts out a release explaining uh, what the penalty was, uh, like, what what rules was broken what, what and what the decision on it was made. And I can read it right now because it's that short. <laughs> like, I'm like, quote, the stewards, having received a report from the race director, examined video footage, have considered the following matter and determined the following. Number slash driver, five, Sebastian Vettel, competitor, Scuderia Ferrari, time, 1744, session, race, fact, car five collided with car four in turn, 16, in turn 16, offense, breach of article 27.4 of the FIA Formula One supporting regulations, decision, 10 second stop and go penalty, three penalty points awarded, that is uh, nine points total for a 12 month period, reason, the stewards examined video evidence which showed that car five drove alongside and then steered into car 44. The stewards decide that this maneuver was deemed potentially dangerous. End of release. And there you go. And that, there you go. Oh, my, my voice cracked there. Jesus. Uh, and there you go, basically. Yeah, and that, that's <laughs> basically no explanation. Because if you compare this to um, what the NHL does, like pretty much after any, any large penalty in the NHL that involves a player getting suspended, they'll put out... Uh, a video they'll put out their official video review which goes like almost frame by frame onto what happened on the ice and what rules were broken and what influenced their decision making like like they're they go into like the cba and explain that like they have to give this amount of number of days because this is a, a repeat violation of of you know nhl policy and they'll say that the player you know, initially broke the rule the first time during this game, and so so everything is laid out. And even right. like someone who knows absolutely nothing about hockey knows why this penalty is being assessed and why that penalty exists in the first place. Yeah, I, I wish we had that level of transparency because it, all it does is it it just fuels this toxic environment that I think that Formula One can have, where fans will leap to conclusions they, they like i mentioned it last week they want instant gratification on news they want to be informed now when something happens and they when they want they want explanations and they want someone to be punished and you know throw the hammer at somebody like that like that's often how what, what this boils down to because people are emotional they're pent up they're excited for a race <laughs> all that good stuff and you know an an, an fia stewarding panel and the process itself is often under such closed doors. I mean, what you even what you read, King? Like, what, how many? Like, as a percentage of fans, how many people are going to dig that out and read that? No, probably less than five percent. Like, <laughs> I think on the FIA website, it took me about like I had to click about like ten links to get from the FIA homepage to this release. Yeah, kind of says it all, really. So, like, I reckon probably less than one percent of fans that watch the product are going to dig out a, 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 a release of of what they gave out, and even then, it's vague as all hell. Unfortunately, like it's 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 not it's not clear like what like what led you to this punishment for this discretion, and what influenced your decision making process. You know, it goes on. It, it's it's just. 
Oof. Yeah, it's, like, it's, if, it's you, if you watch any of the, the NHL video review videos, they go down to, like, one of the most given suspensions they give is for checks to the head. Like, you're not allowed to check a player in the head. So they basically go to the videotape and say that this player skated into this, like, skated into this other, like, skated into, you know, the victim, you know, in a way where he was intentionally going for the head and that and that the, the victim didn't do anything to make his head the target. Pretty much they go frame right. by frame saying that he led and almost leapt into, you know, the, the victim's head. To, to make sure, without a doubt, you know that this is a penalty. Like, if only we had that on the NFL with Dan Graziano in his days when he was, like, senior vice president of, like, officiating. <laughs> and just, <laughs> like, he did like a frat boy, basically, when he was out there. But, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, RJ, have you got any other takeaways from this? Because uh, ooh, th- th- this is probably going to be the story of the 2017 season, no matter what happens now. Well... We are um, we are at a point in the season where there are opportunities where Hamilton can just get these points back simply by having a, a superior car to Ferrari at some tracks and just by being the driver that he usually is, which is one of the best in Formula One history. Um, this is that it does raise uh, legitimate questions about how how like certain scenarios impact the FIA's decision making, particularly under pressure in this environment that you mentioned where we almost want instant gratification and justice for every perceived wrongdoing that comes our way. Um, I don't think we've heard the end of this just yet, no matter how much a lot of the press and no matter how much the FIA and the teams and the drivers consider it a closed case. It's not going to be over. This will still come up, especially if this ends up costing Lewis Hamilton the championship sometime down the road. Uh, goodness, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I, I miss... Gosh. I mean, at least... At least this race gave us something interesting to talk about for weeks at a time to come. Couldn't say you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> well, done, well, well done, Baku. Baku welcomed us all. Um, King, you got any other takeaways from that? all this oh my god um i i think it's reaching certain levels where the teams really don't like it anymore where toto wolf even called the comments made by eddie jordan fake news it's like whoa <laughs> yes whoa buddy oh fake news reached its way into f1 holy shit <laughs> yeah let me see if i can pull up the quotes and Okay, oh, this was about this was about another comment that Eddie Jordan made where uh, about the whole Mercedes pulling out thing where he pretty much called it fake news. But on the other end on the other end Eddie Jordan said that Total Wolf will not silence him that that this about, you know, Mercedes pulling out and now about, you know, Total Wolf saying that for for the Mercedes team this whole incident between Vettel and Hamilton is over that pretty much the media is going to do whatever the hell they feel like doing no matter what the FIA says yeah yeah that's that's pretty sound logic from Toto Wolf on that one because the media I mean what do you think most of the pre-race coverage is going to be for Austria talking about Red Bull's home race 
No, of course not. No, They're because talk... Red Bull stands no chance of winning their home race. They've, <laughs> they've somehow managed to gear their car to like the opposite of what you need to win in Austria. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of pre-race. I mean, Sky do 90-minute pre-race packages now. Like, it used to be an hour. It's now an hour and a half, including the driver's parade, which nobody have, really cares about. They have pre-race packages that are about as long as a dang race. Yeah. This is getting to horse racing territory. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is getting to WWE kickoff show territory. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. And, uh, as a guy that works in the bookies, let me tell you, horse racing previews are fast, extensive, and completely unnecessary. But, um, yeah, just like Sky F1, really. Um, but, um, Gotta yeah. fill yeah. that broadcast time. Gotta fill that broadcast time. Let's ignore that Formula but, 2 exists, but let's. we need to find other stuff other than Formula 2 to fill this time. <laughs> Can't even, let even them know still... who the next top stars are. Oh yeah, it's, it, 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 it's Charles the Clerk and that British dude. That's about <laughs> that, it. That British dude. I think his name's Oliver. Oliver. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good name. It's a good name. Oliver! What a, what, what, <laughs> <laughs> Float! Float! <laughs> oh dear, but it's it's yeah. I mean, F one's going to fill the gap, and Sky F one. You know what? Like anyone who watches it knows exactly what they're up to these days. It's the Hamilton Network. I've called it that for some time. So you're going to get at least forty five minutes of the one and a half hour build up time talking about the fallout from this incident, the, the debates. You know, date like Damon Hill and Johnny Herbert basically saying nothing like they all like they normally do. Um, you might get a hardcore, in-depth Simon Lazenby head-to-head interview with, with Sebastian trying to grill him unsuccessfully, um, you know, while playing basketball because he's done that before in Vettel promos. But yeah, like I, my overall taking away from this is that God, it fucking sucks to be a steward. Um, I I do not envy. Hey, people. hey, hey! It really does. Hey, they're virtually unknown. Like for the most part. No, I've never seen anyone mention a steward by name. No one ever go like after a steward on a social media account. Like pretty much, they get out of this unscathed. You say you say that, and that's just inviting an opportunity for some <laughs> dots to get dropped. I'm sorry, yeah, Danny yeah. Sullivan. <laughs> Danny, Danny Sullivan's house name is going to be revealed on the internet by the time this show goes out. Um, <laughs> blame Ryan King. It's all King's fault. Um, he's put a name on these people, and now, well... Whoa, whoa, these, these names are publicly virtual, available. Virtually <laughs> unknown, um, former Indianapolis 500 and American Open Wheel Danny, Open Champion Danny Sullivan. Never, never heard of this guy. No, never. Just, just um, like that other dude in, in, you know, in Montreal who did the double Jeopardy thing, you know, um, uh, Derek Daly. Oh, Derek <laughs> Daly, of course. Why does everything from the Daily Family have to cause pain? No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh dear. But you know, it's one of those things where, for me, like I said, it's it, being a sports official or being a steward is a loveless job. Where even if you're right, you're wrong, and it's when it's in when it's involving the two biggest stars that Formula One has seen probably since Michael Schumacher, and when it's especially with one guy who has such a passionate, heated, emotional fan base of mostly teenagers who, you know, look at Lewis like he's their guy, like like the picture-perfect F1 driver. You know, it's it's going to split people. It's going to cause dissension. It's going to cause toxic, toxicity. No system of a down reference. But you, you get the gist. And 
it's it brings out the worst in us in an F1 audience sometimes, and it's sad that it has to come down to that, but it's the nature of Formula 1. We care, and unfortunately, sometimes you care a little bit too much. Like I do still think, though, we are in an era where people just love to see the book get thrown at people without really stopping to think about the consequences of that. Um, we, have, we talked about it a lot off the air, but the good at all the France earlier this week with Peter Sagan, who, from what I've seen of the footage... I don't think he hit Cavendish on purpose at all, and yet he's been disqualified from the entire tour. So that's the use like, the chain, use the chain. <laughs> yeah, rash strats are shit. But again, like I like off the air, I explained to Dre like the rules like involving like racing wheel to wheel and cycling are a lot more strict than yeah. Formula One. You're not allowed to squeeze people. Isn't it yeah, kind of I... like the rules in like bowling and cricket where you can't? bend your arm like a certain <laughs> angle or you yeah, get yeah. The, or you get thrown in jail for 25 years <laughs> yeah and, and a lot of it rj is all the spirit of the rules basically more than the actual rules themselves especially in cricket for fuck's sake um it's like it's like it's different because people have died doing this recently <laughs> yes yeah, i know it's not ideal to say the least um but is it is that like I'm not I'm not comparing the two because I think it's two different sports and comparing them is stupid, yes. Toby. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's one of those things where there is things you there is little things you can take from both of them, and I think what happened with Sagan was the other end of the extreme as to what could have happened with Vettel. Like you could have easily seen him DQ'd from this race, maybe throwing an extra race ban for good measure. St- Make out like, oh, this is this this is the sport throwing the book at him, saying this is never going to happen again, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, I still that... think of the ultimate um, act of retaliatory driving under a safety car. Kyle Busch, um, guest driver in the NASCAR Truck Series race, gets so heated at Ron Hornaday, who's actually competing for a championship that year, that he wrecks him as they're under a safety car. Amazing. <laughs> NASCAR never gets old. But again, like uh, in Formula One terms. Peter Sagan got disqualified from the championship. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the other end of the extreme entirely. But, you know, there's, there's little things you can draw from that. But uh, let's hope this, as from, from from the most part, is the end of the matter. It won't uh, be. It, it probably won't be, but, you know. Welcome to F1, guys. This is the boat we got in. Now we have to ride the ship to shore. Should um, we talk about Austria, like the actual Austrian Grand Prix itself coming up? Hamilton wins, lol. Um, next. Um, <laughs> what? Is there more to talk about? Uh, anyone? Not really. <laughs> um, does, the, does the Force India battle um, just boil over to the part where it just breaks my damn heart again? Mm. Yes, please. I want to see a reaction on next week's show when Ocon drives into Perez's side pod. Please. <laughs> uh, I, I need this in my life more than you realize. <laughs> um, hey, Red Bull might finish third again. You know, they, they've been like the jammy podium dudes all season long, right? Yeah, pretty much. Picking up the pieces yeah. when Ferrari and Mercedes implode. Yeah, it's like one and of these days. Their own cars don't implode as well, particularly on the 33 <laughs> side of the garage. No kidding. Um, you know, maybe one of these days Daniel Ricciardo will win a race that isn't a total fluke. Um, 
Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm, I may have like sent like 150,000 Daniel Ricciardo fangirls after me. I sincerely apologize for nothing. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, Lewis Hamilton's a heavy bookies favorite, right? I think he's like five to six to win this weekend. Like Seb's like, a, like up in the nine to four sort of range. Um, it reminds me, King, did you see my bet the other day? Yes, I did see your treble I... of a bet. Woo! <laughs> As the Americans would call it, a parlay. Um, <laughs> parlay in Mark Marquez, Frankie Morbidelli, and Shaky Bird in a race one of Snetted in, in beautiful fashion. I'm very proud of me right now for my for my deep, deep hard winnings of 200 quid. I'm hype for that, by the way. Like, I'm, I, was, I, I was caught with in the back of my bookies on the day that came in. I was like, yes! Many celebrations were had. Many bottles of Monster were bought. Um, it was it was a good day. Um, but yeah, besides that, I think I mean Austria. I'm not I'm not a big fan of Austria. I don't think it really suits you know F1 as it is right now. It's I'm not a big fan of it. But hey, last year was actually surprisingly dramatic. So who knows? We saw we saw a pass on the last lap for a win for the first time in F1 like in. At the time in five years, yeah, so just, hey, just don't who knows. talk to Dre about how Vettel's race went that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking strategist thinking, yeah, we can go thirty laps on the super soft, no big deal, right? Right? Idiots. Um, yeah, I'm still, not mad. I'm still not mad about that. I'm still not mad. I punched a hole in my wardrobe in frustration that day. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, should we get into the rest of the news, fellas? Yeah, got other stuff that is happening. You've got a great car. Yeah, what's wrong with it today? I the most interesting bit to me is first of all. It's pretty much been leaked what they hope the 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 next Formula One formula would be for 2020, a year earlier than what was you know on the table. Go on, King. Tell us more. <laughs> so effectively, uh, they want to make Formula One cheaper. They they they, they know that what? that <laughs> things have been wronged. That Formula One has gotten a little bit out of hand on the spending side of things. And they also want to make, to make Formula 1 a bit easier to compete in. They're getting rid of uh, what I like to call the, the, the spider web of electrical power. Where they want a, a standard curse and they want to drop the MGUH. So you no know, pre-spinning, no using you know, the, the electric system to, to no, get rid of no turbo No override lag. button. Yeah, to, <laughs> to get rid of turbo lag to you know, basically have a push to pass button. Basically get rid of that. So... The MGUH is going to be gone. The MGUK is going to be the only thing left, and it can only deliver power to the rear wheels. Uh, instead of having one turbo, you, they're going to go to a bi-turbo V6. Ooh, yeah, that turbo. Yeah, to get rid of the the turbo lag without any, you know, the the electrical power. I'm personally of the opinion that I think they should also have the option for a four-cylinder engine as well that could rev higher and produce about the same amount of power. Yeah, you you just want Porsche in F one, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I could I could kind of live with with or without Porsche in F one. It's fine. 
liar. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. No, but I completely agree. No, so, I, mean, I think that would be pretty cool. So, and the MGUH and the and the motor that goes along with it would be standardized, so there would be no way to develop that. Cut costs right. down there. Uh, the, tur- the two turbochargers, standardized, so uh, no one's going to do some split turbo stuff like Mercedes did. Right. Okay, that makes sense. And there were also talks to go the LMP1 route and get uh, a second MGUK for the front axle and have four-wheel drive in Formula 1, but there was was worries that that would not be good for the show at all because uh, the cars would be much, much heavier with four-wheel drive. Good point. Um... I mean, would, would, would an F1 fan ever watch a race saying, oh, no, we can't watch that. That, that car's far too heavy. Um, but still, you know, make a good point there. Maybe the cars would just have way too much grip to have overtaking possible. Who knows? And the other parts they're still working on, which is still, like, I mean, they're still working on, as in it's just vague as all hell, saying they want to simplify the aero and the chassis. So I don't know what that means. I like I know for aero that means you know less complicated aero. You know hopefully get less downforce in the cars. If you get less downforce, you get less dirty air. Hopefully closer racing because of it. Oh yeah, here, here for some of that indie car action. Um, <laughs> simple aero and whatnot. So Speaking okay. Uh oh. Gone. Iowa this weekend. We're going short track racing in the corn. Corn. The corn. Simon! <laughs> but yeah, let me, let me finish with these regulations. Like, hopefully, yeah, okay. <laughs> they, they, they want to do it uh, a year earlier than expected. The new, the new formula was set to be introduced in 2021. They're moving it up to 2020, so the teams don't have to spend, like, spend money developing the current cars for an extra year. And also, because uh, Ross Braun believes that pretty much all four of the engine manufacturers have already started working on the next engine formula. <laughs> So he wants yeah, to get well, the rules set in stone as early as possible so it's easier for new teams to come in, and he's hoping hoping to get it done by next spring. Makes sense. It's, however, this is F1. Um, so we'll probably get an announcement sometime in the in the middle of 2019. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're yes, like, oh, it's... damn, middle of 2019. We only got, like, five months to go, guys. <laughs> But what yeah, do you mean USF1 aren't coming back? <laughs> but yeah, like, Ross Braun is really, like, scratching his head over on how to, like, help new manufacturers into the, manufacturer into the sport. Like, he already reiterated that, yeah, like, if Honda wants help, we'll give it to them. All they have to do is ax. Honda, like, being Honda does not want to ax for help. Of course not. It's, it's, it's a terrible look. The yes. shareholders are going to be pissed. It's going to be, oh, great. It's, it's, it's Mark Marquez and Scott Dixon carrying the entire motorsport division again, you guys. <laughs> and, like, but, they're uh, consi- yeah, like he, he's, like, even to journalists, he's just, like, spitballing ideas, saying, like, you, got, you remember how we had the token system before? Imagine if we brought that back, but if, if new manufacturers come in afterwards, they get more tokens than everyone else, and he's, like, just throwing out ideas, like, how can we help new manufacturers not be stuck behind. It's like not even Ross Braun really knows the answer to that one, which is kind of sad, really. Um, but hey, we've got to start somewhere, I suppose, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, sounds promising. I like where, I like the sounds of, of what they're saying. It looks like the FIA have realized some of the shortcomings of this hybrid era, like mostly the frigging cost. Like, um, holy crap. So that, that definitely helps. 
hopefully less downforce again better show for the fans that would be great um trying to get more teams in via lowering costs that would also be great so yeah then you gotta start from somewhere but whether it actually comes through into fruition well we don't know how the fa's track record of this goes it's uh that may require some work yeah like some of the teams like some of the team principals are already getting optimistic we already have france tasks like Franz Tass, the, the principal at Toro Ross, was saying that there needs to be at least three or four teams in a position to win the championship. You are, so you can be trying, you, you can try and sneak in and maybe take one. With Carlos. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it seems promising enough. But um, how long before Merck's veto the whole thing, King? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> be if fun. this strategy group, if this group that's leading Formula One can't get this done and exacts a meaningful change in the sporting regulations. I don't know who can. Yeah. Ross Braun with an iron fist. Uh, like, no. if if this doesn't go through and I was, like, Liberty Media CEO Chase Carey, I'd blow it all up. Be like, screw Formula One. We're, we're, we're ending this. <laughs> like, we're, push it's the, like, we're, we're, we're taking this. Button. We're taking this our yard. We're making our own championship. Because we own the rights to Formula One, if we say there's no championship, there's going to be no championship. We'll, we'll run 20 exhibition races throughout the world instead next year. <laughs> just go, run what you brung. We'll have, we'll have Scott Dixon bring his IndyCar over, we'll run some exhibition events, we'll do a couple of drag races. It'll be great, um, basically. So, uh, yeah, like if we get a stalemate, that would be very fun to see how, how, how far our moustache-twirling friend Mr. Carey goes on that one. RJ, tell us a bit about him, sir. The streak is over. Sorry. No! Yeah, Wayne Taylor Racing entered the season on a five-year winning streak, on a five-race winning streak, and going into the six hours of Watkins Glen, they were probably the favorites to win the whole thing, and they essentially got taken out of contention on the first corner of the first lap with a broken suspension that cost them 45 minutes. But Ooh. Mustang Sampling Racing, out of the Cadillac stable, Put Cadillac on their back, so the Cadillac uh, DPI VR is still undefeated in IMSA. In what was really a thrilling race, like the whole race is now up on IMSA's YouTube channel. It went up like 20 minutes ago as we were talking uh, just nice. now. So definitely go check it out. It was a great battle between them and the, I want to say, JDC Miller Motorsport team, uh, one of the independents running the standard Global LP2 cars comes down to a final lapse battle through traffic where ultimately Joe Barbosa and Kristen Fittipaldi come through and take the victory. In the GT um, LM class, BMW took the victory there. Uh, over, it was a pretty, it was another really competitive field where you had three different manufacturers on the podium. BMW ahead of Ford, ahead of Chevrolet Corvette, and a GT Daytona. Catherine Legs got a winning streak, baby! Yes, her and Andy Lally and Akron Assets won the race. They won in Detroit. Now they've won in Watkins Glen. Awesome. Awesome. GT Daytona was also, like, super-duper competitive. So if you've got about six hours to spare, definitely go check this race out on YouTube. You can break it into parts if you like. Yeah, and also something that we rarely see in IMSA, they're having a back-to-back. They're going to be up in Mosport at Canadian Tire, at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Yeah, I mean, they're going to Canada. Like right a, yeah, it's right just a couple hours' drive, so that's pretty convenient for them. Nice. Get, get everybody on the trucks, short road trip. Yeah, oh, short road trip this. for a Grand Prix-length race is going to be two hours, 40 minutes, so it's one of the shorter races on the calendar. 
Mm. Might actually watch that one. I've got the weekend off. Mm. Two hour, two, I, can, I can handle two hours forty. I'm not sure about six, but I, 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 I can I, I can do two and a half. I can do two and a half. I'm okay with that. I, I, I can live with that one. Um, also, nice bit of good news coming out of the world of Britain. It's actually amazing. This has actually made national TV news in the United Kingdom, which was actually really cool to see. Billy Monger is back behind the wheel of a race car just months after his horrific crash in Formula 4, which caused him to have multiple uh, parts of his body amputated. But uh, he is back in a race car, you guys, and that is awesome, to say the least. Um, Big shout-out to Team Brit Racing for having a specially modified car, giving Billy the ability to race again, which which is just really, really cool to see. And he's Um, also got ambitions of getting back behind and racing full-time before he turns 18. And also, he's got Le Mans in his sights. He wants to be at the event by 2020, and a lot of people have come by and stood behind the idea, including Frederick Sose, who last year, uh, the quadruple amputee, finished the 24 Hours of Le Mans in a specially modified LMP2 car. Yes. Um, so it's more than doable. I mean, he, he was at this year's Le Mans, you know, with, 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 with people, a lot of great stories. Like, apparently, it was, you had a very good time with Mark Webber down there as well, who was, he was down there to visit his old Porsche buddies and whatnot. So again, delighted to see Billy Munger back behind the wheel and hopefully in you know much more competitive guys very, very soon. Um, let's talk a little bit about Formula E um, because King pulled this story up um, as we were writing the set list out. Um, What's Formula E doing? Are they are they just like spending their... Uh, are they just spending the way I would use to spend my credit card? <laughs> balance? Yeah, like the... Man, I'm yeah, just we, uh, deep. So just, just, just for the record, on our Slack chat, Ryan King described this story as, and I quote, Formula E is burning through cash like a valley girl with her first credit card. Um, King, after that explanation, you have to tell us more now. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, yes. Uh, I think over the first two seasons, Formula E has amassed, well, yeah, Formula E has amassed $10 million, like $110 million in losses. 70 of which were through uh, the first year. $70 million in the first season in losses. Damn. That's a big loss. Um, any explanation for this, King, as to why they were spending so much money and uh, why they called on so much in outside investment still? Well, uh, basically, a lot of people have chalked up the $70 million in losses to it's damn expensive to start up an international championship, especially when you're charging cities zero money to host the first season of races. Yeah, that's... Yeah, there's a lot. Especially given this is a series that doesn't have sanctioning fees, as we know it. So... They're not going to make money back that way. And, like, it's it just seems to be hard for the series in general right now to be in a situation where... You know they can they can they can make a big return on their investment by the sounds of it. Is that crazy to say? Yeah, it, it's it's hard for any series to start exactly from scratch. Like I can't recall the last time a series has started from scratch and like survived. Still, that's not promising. <laughs> because like the the newer series on the block had you know reasons to survive like the newest racing series i can recall off the top of my head is the fia world endurance championship and they have you know oh they're they're run by you know the aco who you know put their landmark race to 24 hours 24 hours of Le Mans in the series so of course it was gonna survive technically 
technically, the IndyCar series is only about 21 years old. Yes, they can that's just true. now drink. Yes, yes. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. The, like, the IndyCar series, which has the Indianapolis 500, is just barely viable after, like, 21 years. Yeah, so basically, if you're opening a new motorsport company, expect it to lose a lot of money as as it, uh, the startup costs are going to be pretty ludicrous, to say the least. I think that's fair to suggest. Um, so, King, I hear Mr. Agag, who's running the series, is he's kind of a response. Oh my god. Alejandro. Alejandro Agak has replied, everything is going according to plan. Actually, we're doing very incredibly well financially according to our plan. We could have broken even this year, but we decided to invest more in marketing and promotion. We decided to add races like the one in New York, which is in year one, a race which is costing. We have significant capital expenditure. It's really up to us when we want to go when we want to go to break even or not we could we could break even now we could break even next season but we may decide to invest more in the capital in in marketing and promotion you know you can make more money with a flop than with a hit yeah. <laughs> it's true it is true it's like it's just like don't worry guys like we can choose to make money whenever we want <sighs> like that that's I don't know whether that's confidence or arrogance, King. Like I, I, that's oof. Yeah, I think. I don't know, man. Uh, that I, sounds like some really entitled upper class, upper middle class baby boomer kind of stuff. <laughs> like it poverty's really does. just poverty's just a state of mind. <laughs> like, I, still, I still I still remember like this interview with our current first daughter <laughs> Ivanka Trump where apparently oh, no. they're walking down for like her and her father are walking down First Avenue and her dad just looks at a homeless man and then turns to Ivanka and says that man probably has more money than we do right now <laughs> lol <laughs> oh dear god <laughs> but i mean like formerly e does have like Decent, like, they have room to expand because Audi and BMW are going to become factory teams next season, along with the current factory team, Renault. Mercedes-Benz are slated to come on as a factory team in a couple years. Like True. They, and it's like, maybe Jaguar and, and Citroen will, you know, or DS will become true factory teams in the coming seasons as well. Like, there's there's room for growth, but there's also room for failure. <laughs> also very true. Um, oof. There's, oof, there's 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 a lot there's a lot there's, there's a lot going on here, King. There's, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. I, I think one of the like the biggest benefits for attracting teams to Formula E, where you know they have a cost cap in Formula E, they cost like you pretty much could buy another team's car if you wanted to. And so, for the most part, budgets are under control. It's between fifth. It's between ten and fifteen million to run a team in Formula E, or in Formula One, it could be you know up to over a quarter million dollars. I mean, quarter of a right. billion dollars. So like hundred, hundred, like yeah, two hundred and fifty million dollars a year to run a, like a successful Formula One team. While in Formula E, you could do that for a, a fraction of the cost. I was about to break out the Motorsport 101 Patreon account and see if we could buy our own Formula E team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
Like, like, like uh, just don't get Mitch Evans and he hasn't got any money. Um, <laughs> that might be a problem. But uh, yeah, we're interested to see. How, we're interested to see Formula E is burning through cash like crazy like that. So. To, to close this uh, slightly shorter edition of the show this time round, we have a bumper-sized mailbag for you. The so mega well, mailbag. The mega mailbag. Um, so thanks everyone for sending your questions. Much appreciated. You guys came through in the clutch as you always do. Um, so let's get into the mailbag. And first up, Marcus, who says, honestly, do you think Ferrari will find a seat for Charles Leclerc? Can't see many obvious openings. Maybe when Sauber was still with Ferrari, maybe, but you've got Haas? to understand that Haas, maybe, but what if, but who is going to get the Haas seat if Romain Grosjean does decide to vacate at the end of the year, which might very well happen. Antonio Giovinazzi is kind of already ahead of him in the queue by being Ferrari's third driver. So yeah. who knows? Like, like... To, to play, like, the, the, the mock silly season in my head, I, I definitely... Renault are probably going to be the the, mo- the the move maker in the situation where they're definitely getting rid of Julian Palmer at the end of this year. Who they put in that seat? I don't know. I have a feeling a certain Frenchman might go back to a certain team. And it might open, up a, it might open up a seat at Haas. And, again, a, a certain amount of gas driver might get his move to Formula 1. <laughs> But again, I, I think Angie, I think Antonio Giovinazzi is going to be a big part of the problem here because yes. it's like, like he's already in the queue, and we were we were gushing about him this time last year as well by being the sensational rookie in GP two. Have we already kicked Giovinazzi to the curb here? Like, like, like Formula One is ridiculous. I know well, I haven't. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I think like Charles Leclerc might have to go into. Uh, he might have to trust the process and not do as well as he expected to do in Formula 2 so he could stay an extra year. Charles Leclerc's <laughs> going to win the 2018 Super Formula Championship for there Tom's, it is. baby! Yeah! <laughs> there it is. I, 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 like, I, everyone that's listening to playing the Motorsport 101 unofficial drinking game, you may now charge your glasses. RJ has promoted a young rookie to win in Super Formula. Yeah, uh, you may now empty your glasses. I, I'm pretty sure uh, empty your glasses because... He has mentioned Super Formula. Empty, empty your glasses because I've uh, mentioned Formula 2's champion ban rule. <laughs> yeah, drink um, <laughs> three fingers for an for an for a Ryan King, um, for a Ryan King uh, Formula 2 champion ban reference. Also, people that are creative on this, if you want to create a Motorsport 101 drinking game, send it send it my way on Twitter. And if you do, and, and, if it's good, I will send you a free T-shirt. I am not even joking, um, because that would be hilarious. Um, you can even play it during the show and watch how far the quality of the podcast and the discussion drops over the re- ensuing two hours before we're constantly getting plastered. Like, yeah, At if, least I am. Yeah, if if we <laughs> had to pick a weekend, I'd probably say the the Montreal E Prix weekend because I'll be in Montreal for that recording if we choose to record it at our normal time. <laughs> That sounds like a great idea. Someone invite Sarah Connors over. <laughs> like, what could possibly go wrong? Put it on Periscope. Put it on we'll Periscope. Be, we'll be able... Would we be, even be able to record it for, uh, sufficiently? We'll have to wait and Clip see. Clip show! <laughs> Montage edition. Um, 
Rhino GT4, the man, the myth, the legend himself, asks, top three races on four wheels so far this year and top three on two wheels because why not? So shall we go four wheels first on this one? Um, yeah, four wheels first. <laughs> what do you guys reckon? Mm, gosh. Uh, I have to say the, the 100 and first running of the Indianapolis 500. That was bon- that was bonkers. That shit was crazy. Um, yes, that that's definitely in there for me. Um, what was, what's been the best F one race this season? I mean, China I, maybe. I think for better or for worse, it was Azerbaijan. <laughs> Who would have ever guessed? <laughs> Not me. Um. Oh, ooh. Man. This is trickier than I thought, actually. It feels like there's been so much. It's like... just kind of become overloaded to it and just like, oh yeah, my like, goodness. Yeah. Do, do I want to say Le Mans? Because Le Mans, man, that was a race. <laughs> like, that, from... It was certainly ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. The greatest upset in 20 years, but... We're going to come across like such total fanboys to pick the most obvious four-wheeled races of the lot. Azerbaijan, the Indy 500, and Le Mans. We are terrible fans. <laughs> we are terribly hey, predictable. Hey, it's like those races generated enough heat on their like just their own existence. You shut, you shut up. You know what I mean. Um, yeah, Jesus. Um, you're absolutely right, to be fair. Um... From what I saw of Le Mans, it seemed pretty ridiculous, all 20 minutes of it. Um, again, the problem me working back-to-back all-day all shifts during Le Mans was not fun. But I am going to next year's one, which is going to be fun. Yay. Uh, hey, Shout-out to friend of the show, Hazel Southwell, for basically begging and convincing me to go to Le Mans next year, because oh, I need to get out more, apparently. Dre and Cook uh, at the at the 24 hours of <laughs> Like, you're just going to see, like, Cook disintegrated through part of the guardrail at this point. <laughs> after I run his head through it. Um, it's basically... But, um, yeah, I, I promised I would do more motorsport, so I'm just doing more sports shit in general, and I think Le Mans is going to be one of them. That is, like, um, that is like just, cl- like, oh, I'm going to decide to climb some hills more often. I'm going to climb Everest. Sure, why not, <laughs> you know? Start small. Like, you don't even have to actively watch it. Like, hell, it's perfectly acceptable to just, like, take a three or four hour snooze or go off and just enjoy the amusement park or whatever the heck have you. Yeah, just, just, yeah, sure. just put in some laps on the, on the karting circuit. Yeah, yeah, why not? Sounds like fun. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 all here, I'm all here for a Le Mans trip. Again, that'll probably be next year. Um, gonna do more biking events too. I'm probably gonna do MotoGP at Silverstone next year as well, and throw a couple other ones in there because I'm on the other side of the coin of, with, with Ryan's question regarding two wheel races. Um, MotoGP, everything, <laughs> everything, everything. Has- everything. Everything has been utterly like this is like I will talk all about it on Bike Live, obviously, or inevitably. If you're not listening to that, do it. Like it's, it's freaking quality, but um, like it's been an unbelievably good MotoGP season so far by all accounts, where every race has been a banger, pretty much. Um, and even so, it's been full of drama, unpredictability. You name it, it's had it so far this season. I've had to pick out three two-wheel races. Like, this, this is picking out of a really frigging good bunch. Um, let me think. Uh, the Dutch TT has to be up there. The, the MotoGP race of the Dutch TT. 
Aston was pretty great, seeing the Petrucci up there challenging Valentino Rossi at the end. That was a very, very good Grand Prix. World Superbikes in Phillip Island. Ooh, that was pretty good. That was that was up there. Race two, not so much. Maybe race one was was in the conversation. Misano race one in World Superbikes was pretty crazy this year as well. Um, mm, the first half of the World Supersport season was incredible as well, with Keenan Safogalu down. Everybody seemed to just beat each other up for a bit. It was fun. Um, but, but yeah, like, um, anything else? Like Moto3 and Mugello was fantastic, where you basically just had 23 bikes challenging for the win. Yeah. Um, Hashtag was... the, the plate race of Moto3. Of Moto the plate race of Moto3, where Nicolo Antonelli finished 1.6 seconds off the win and didn't score a point, <laughs> because he finished in 16th place. Um, yeah, that's how crazy that race was. Um, maybe Moto Two at Aston as well was like, the old Aston weekend was freaking fantastic for what it's worth. But um, uh, to pick out three would be nearly impossible because it's just been like bike racing has never looked brighter, at least in my opinion. Moto GP has been unbelievable this season. Mo- Moto Two has actually been a bit more intriguing this year, despite Morbidelli's dominance. And Moto3, Joanne Mears got five wins, but it doesn't feel like he's won five times this year because the races have just been so frigging good. It just so happens that Mears happens to be the guy across the finish line first. That's all. <laughs> um, even in World Superbikes, I, mean, I know Jonathan Ray has dominated the season, but they've had many a great race in there as well. I think Aragon race one was fantastic. I think both Aragon races were really good as well. So there's another thing that you can throw in the pot as well. So... Who knows? Um, you pick them because it's been so frigging good so far. Um, Len Morrison asks, assuming Alonso does leave McLaren at the end of the season, who are the favourites to replace him? To replace That's interesting. Oh, damn. That's Who'd interesting. Who would even want that? I would, I would say it would have to be a young driver. It would have to be someone not currently in Formula 1. Ooh. You're talking about you're talking about McLaren, a team that is so much establishment. They are not going to take much of a challenge on youth. Like I've I've been burned by this story too many times. Remember, this is the yep. same team that was so eager to get Sergio Perez, then so eager to can him because they found Kevin Magnuson, and then so eager to can Kevin Magnuson. I would and now say they might be doing the same with Stoffel Van Dorn. I would say their program, like who they pick, is. Largely going to depend on whether they keep Honda or not next year. If they stay Very with Honda, true. I have a feeling it's going to be Nobuharu Matsushita. If if they don't, I have a feeling it's probably going to be Nick DeVries. You really think they'll put, they'll put Nick up there that quick? They got no other option. Really? So there wouldn't be a single experience then they could possibly rope in? Who? Trey, seriously, who would want to drive that thing? You make a very good point. Um, <laughs> like if, the only person I could see moving out is Romain Grosjean reunite with Eric Boulier. Yeah. Uh, that's a reach. Like, that's a big step back for Romain. Like, actually, no, no, it isn't really, because Hass is not actually all that good. But at least Hass has shown promise this season. Um, geez, they, you're right. Like, who wants that job? It's like it's like the Cleveland Cavaliers GM job. Nobody wants it right now. Yeah, because they know they're not going to they're not, they're not, they're not going to see a year two basically. Yeah, and if <laughs> if they really wanted to go off the limb and pick someone not in their academy, they would ha- they'd pretty much just have to move up the Formula Two table to the highest guy that isn't in an academy right now. And I'm pretty sure. Wait, no, is is, is 
Is Markov a, a Renault driver? Mm, no, no, he's not. They, they wouldn't go Markov, <laughs> would they? The mad Russian, George Mullen favourite. <laughs> that would be that would be interesting. I mean, but, we've um, seen crazier things happen in Formula One silly season, things that we never expect. Like nobody would have ever thought Fernando Alonso would even come back to McLaren in the first place to leave in a huff. Oh, I exactly thought Fernando Alonso was going to come back to leave in a huff because it's Fernando Alonso. He has no foresight. Uh, like, if, <laughs> like, if someone had to go to McLaren because there was no other option, it would probably have to be Jolyn Palmer or no, or somehow Kevin Magnussen gets booted out of Haas for Charles Leclerc. Oh, God, no. You know what? Magnussen's not a bad shout, actually. But Magnuson going back to McLaren would be hilarious. To face off against Van Dorn. <laughs> Hashtag the ma- never Trust the process indeed. The trust. process, um, it's the long game. King, I, I, I actually don't want that to happen. I have one reason why. Why? Because I, I, I bet a certain Patreon backer, Mr. Scott Woodwiss, like 20 quid that McLaren would never have Van Dorn and Magnuson in the team at the same time. Oh, <laughs> And Scott was adamant that this that, that was the McLaren team of the future. And I'm like, oh boy. Ooh, I'm Dre, you should have trusted the process. I don't trust any process. Like, Joel Embiid has played 35 games in three years. I have every reason to be skeptical. But uh, that's, that's a fun one. But God, nobody wants that job and it's quite sad. Um, Josh Sutil, friend of the show at the Motorcast podcast. Go check them out. He sent me a message to say, MVP of the year so far in any series? Question mark. Buemi, Vinales, Alonso? <laughs> there, I have a lot of contenders for this. I have a lot. Oh. Like, I, that's one of the few questions that I've actually solved beforehand. And it's like, that is actually difficult because there are a lot of mm. contenders. Mark Marquez. <laughs> Marquez. Yeah, Easily three. Sebastian Vettel in Formula 1. Yeah, I think Sebastian Vettel's probably the favorite in F1 because I don't think anybody thought Vettel would be this good this year. Yeah, you could say that no one expected uh, Charles Leclerc to be that good as a rookie in Formula 2. Leclerc's no, a great a shout. He hasn't won it in nearly a decade. Yeah, no one expected a rookie Charles Leclerc to be that good in Formula 2. Uh, Scott Dixon, quietly. Dixon putting for Honda. Honda. Putting Honda back on his back. He just won his first race this year. And he's doing it with with some very noticeable injuries. Yes, yes, like very the true. Where we expected it to be the Petsky one, two, three, four. Scott Dixon is just going to be like, nah, nah, I got this. Nah, I got this. It, Sato, it doesn't matter. Takuma Sato. Yes, Sato. Sato. Yeah, Sato for the month of May alone. Yeah. We're talking about Takuma Sato at forty years old as a legitimate championship contender. Yes, that's nuts. So there's a whole heap of names. If somebody put a gun to your head and pick out one, who would it, who would it be? Uh, I'm I'm gonna say Charles Leclerc because I think he's blown people away this year in GP two. Yeah, I have to go. I have to go Leclerc because that that shock factor that that this this kid has talent. <laughs> this kid has talent. Unbelievable talent. Yeah, I completely agree. I think like, Charles Leclerc. For like me. it would be Leclerc, and then I really have to put Maverick Vinales as like a definite second. We this high on Maverick Vinales, even though he's made multiple mistakes this season. I'm not entirely convinced Maverick is as good as people say he is. Eh, like, if I had to say put him second, it's like joint second with Davi. Because, oh my god. 
Yeah, that's a very good shout. We haven't even. We, how did we not mention Andrea Vizioso, who led the championship for two rounds? Holy on, a, shit. on a Ducati. On a Ducati, for God's sake! Good, like it's, it says a lot about the state of play when Andrea Vizioso is talking about finishing in fifth in, a, in an Aston race and saying, "I was thinking of the championship." <laughs> Holy shit! Two years that ago, people would have said you were crazy. Throw. I also want to throw one out there from kind of out of left field. Kamui Kobayashi just set the outright lap record at Le Mans, and he's putting a single-car Super Formula team right on his back into their best results ever. Like, this is kind of the year where he's showing, like, oh, so this is why he was a full hero in Formula 1 for a few years. I get it. Yeah. Every little helps, my friend. Every little helps. Um, yeah, good shout, Kirby. Like Kirby, if anyone's ever seen the onboard, Kirby Arshi's lap record, absolutely stunning to watch. Almost 160 miles an hour top speed around Le Mans. Fantastic stuff. Um, next question from our new Patreon backer, Ben. Hello, Ben. Thanks, thanks for backing us, my good man. Much appreciated. Or sticking to the MotoGP theme, he says, most underrated MotoGP rider. For me, Paul Espagaro. Good shout. If, if you ask me, um, if I had to pick one out, I might say his teammate Bradley Smith. Um, we've talked a lot about Dovi this year, I and mean, he stood out a lot in this season because you know he has been Mister Consistency in MotoGP this season. But I don't think Bradley Smith got enough due for his two really really big seasons on the Tech Free bike before going to KTM this year. Um, so for me, and I'm, I can't believe I'm drinking the BT Sport Kool-Aid to a degree here, which is really annoying, but, um, I'd say Bradley Smith for me. On yeah, Dre is freaking one of my adopted boys. <laughs> you, you, you've adopted, you've adopted the flying ginger. Yeah, if you're on a KTM, you're my boy. This is the default. <laughs> yes, yeah. Good, good ruling, good ruling. Um, so like, like King is all pushing for Miguel Oliveira. Like, I'll marry you that Oliveira just missed out on that first KTM win in Moto2 this weekend. Oh my god, if KTM so in Moto2. So close. Uh, Morbidelli just got him on the run to the line. The, the classic Saxon ring, dead drag race to the finish. Good times. Nah. You, got, you got to pick RJ? Put me down for Alicia Spargaro getting... Mm. Getting Aprilia's best results since coming back. Good shout. Yeah. Very good shout. That's a very good shout. Um, Joe Ellis tweeted me saying, Tips for the Premier League title this coming season. You did say anything after all. Um, God, we're talking football. Um, I looked at the Premier League out right the other day. Man City are heavy favourites right now. They're 7-4 to win the Premier League title outright right now. And I think a lot of that has to do with that they could be about to sign Alexis Sanchez um, off of Arsenal, which would be huge because Sanchez might be the best player in the league, which which is painful if you're an Arsenal fan, even if you're going to sign Alexander Lacazette tomorrow, which kind of says it all, really. Um, if, I mean, United are about 100-30. to 30. I'm seeing Chelsea about 7-2 to two to retain... I think the smart money's on Chelsea. I really do. I think they out there. I think in the Prem, I think defense wins championships. And if you're not conceding goals, you're going to win a lot of football games. And they have a great combination of a great defense and great attacking players like Eden Hazard. Um, I don't know if they'll bring in a striker if Diego Costa really is gone. We'll have to wait and see about that. He could be going to China for big money, but. Um, 
For me, as a betting man, I would say either go Chelsea outright, or if you can get them at a decent price, go Tottenham each way. I think Tottenham, their front four of Hugminson, Christian Eriksen, um, who am I missing there? Harry Kane, obviously, and I'm missing one in that front four. It's Deddy Alley, that's the one. How did I miss Deddy Alley being English? That's terrible of me. Um, but yeah, I'd say Deddy Alley, the the Alley Eriksson son, Harry Kane front four, is going to score a shit ton of goals next season. Um, because if anyone plays FIFA Ultimate Team, they'll tell you what about how good how, how good him son is. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's he's Mister Overpowered on 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 that game. But yeah, I think that Tottenham front four is very tasty indeed. So uh, I'd, I'd say, do, do you think Tottenham will be? as good as you say they are playing a season at Wembley? That's a very good question. That's a very good point I didn't consider. Um, Look, I'm just th- going to enjoy this being a wonderful season. Uh, a lot of passive watching the Premier League and occasionally <laughs> crying over Arsenal because Sarah and Alice are the best influences in finding me a Premier League team to support. That will probably never get over the hump. But that's okay. You- we're, in this, we're in this together. You you buddied up with Connors to support Arsenal. Nah, what just, is wrong just wait, with you? Just wait till Arsenal gets moved to Los Angeles. Yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Moving to California, bringing Paul George to play goalkeeper. Yeah, because <laughs> if you, if you don't know, Arsenal has the same owner as the Los Angeles Rams, and that franchise is going swimmingly right now. Um, just but, yeah, so for me, if you're asking me as the as the football slash betting guy, I'd say go either Chelsea outright at around seven to two. I've seen Tottenham go for about eight to one. Could be dodgy because they're not in their they're not in their usual stadium. They are playing at Wembley, but I think their team is very very good from top to bottom. Um, they've got a, a top tier defense of the recent goal, Vertonga than all the world. And that front four is nasty, to say the least. It, it's going it's going to wreck a lot of people this year. Um, so keep half an eye on that. Um, so that's my tips for you, basically. Um, so yeah, keep an eye on that for you. Um, let's have a look here. I'll further up the list a little bit. Oh, good, good insider question from Toki, who asks, What plans do you have for episode 100 and episode 101? God, we're getting close to that now, aren't we? Yeah, we're, we're, we're in the 90s. We're in the 90s. We're, in the, we're, we're two months away, basically, at this point, um, from episode 100. Holy shit. Um, that's that's kind of crazy. Um, honest to God, we haven't come up with any decent ideas yet. If you guys have any decent ideas for us, feel free to send them in, um, because we did a live episode for episode 50. We might do it again for 100. Um, I saw Len's suggestion of doing that second draft for episode 100, and I'd be more than down for that. Um, it would be just a matter of getting the gang together, and that could be difficult, um, to say the least. But yeah, that I will could, work that on could it. be uh, episode so, 100.5. Yeah. Sure. Right now, if I'm looking at it, it projects to be the last two weeks of August that we get through episodes 100 and 101. So the funny re- thing the is, the return from the summer break. Funny thing is, like my 25th birthday is that week as well. So that's a that's a big week for yours truly, uh, to say the least. Episode 100 and my 25th birthday is on the 17th. So yeah, and yeah, my my week. my birthday is five days before yours. <laughs> No one cares. Joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's so keep, keep stay tuned on that, Toki. Stay tuned. Um, 
Henry Chapman with two questions to wrap up the show before we go. Henry asks, what's the weirdest motorsport penalty you've ever seen been awarded? Good question. Um, Very relevant. Connor um, Daly picking up a... Uh, Picking up a time penalty for being wrecked out of a race. <laughs> That's probably the weird one of the weirder ones I've ever seen. Was that the one we went over the barricade? Yes. That's the oh, one where we nearly ended up in the harbor. <laughs> um, he actually, what, he was penalized for that? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Jeez, that's... That's terrible. Um, Sebastian Vettel, the context of him getting the penalty eight seconds into his Formula One career, I thought was always hilarious as a weird one. It's not really weird in the context of what of why he got it. it I think the overall situation is what made it weird. Any, anyone on your ranking? You're, you're, King, you're the nerf for things like this. This would be right up your alley, I think. Oh, damn. <laughs> Weirdest penalties. Let's see. Uh, I'd have to go to my tried and true weirdest penalty where... Uh, uh, the first ever motor race, the the eighteen the eighteen ninety four uh, Perry Rowan, where uh, the the cop de Don failed to win the race because his car was not deemed eligible to win because it was steam powered. You can't win. You can't win, you guys. Your your engine's powered by steam. So so basically, the rule said that uh, your your car had to be uh, easy to run. So pretty much. Because anything that's steam-powered requires someone to put coal into a furnace. So, <laughs> so because technically his car required two people to operate it, it was disqualified. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'd love to have seen that in action. That sounds amazing. And it's like, what? Like, he entered the race knowing he would be disqualified. <laughs> He went full Max Biaggi. He was black flagged early on before. You know what? I'm going to win the race anyway, just to make a point. Uh, basically. Um, I don't think there's any other weird penalties I can think of. Um, if any Moto3 rider that's dawdled enough the racing line um, is a weird penalty in the context of it all, but makes perfect sense because it's fucking dangerous. Um, but yeah, I think that'll just about do it on that one. Last question as well from Henry. BFL, I guess that means British Football League, I'm guessing. Um, MLB, NHL, NBA, or the MLS. Which is your favorite league? Uh, like, to the Americans, up first I'll go with that one. It's... Mm, it's, it, like, it's... I... Mm. <laughs> ah, man. A lot of pondering going on here. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, baseball... Major League Baseball is all right. It's just the sport's kind of slow. Uh, yeah. Pro football is kind of trash. College football's product is better, but it's trash in a different way. The NHL is a really fun sport. Shame that uh, the politics behind it are also kind of trash. I don't know. Maybe esports? Maybe esports. <laughs> e um, yeah, I'm here, for, I'm here for all your League of Legends action here, folks. I, I, oh, I, I really want to say baseball, but they're like things that are like making me not confident in saying baseball. Um, for me, NBA definitely. I think basketball is just too much fun. I think it's just so much fun, even more so given that the off season has been so fantastically hectic and, and ludicrous so far this season. NBA free agency has been all over the place. The talk of super teams, the finals, and all the stories that came with that. Um, Atlanta seen... sports kid fans getting mad that they're tearing <laughs> down a team that was about a seven out of ten at best. 
Yeah, yeah. I think, I think my issue up. with the NBA is to me the regular season seems a bit of it seems a bit of a drag. It seems like the, the extremely long no, preamble. Like, I think if if they made it like college basketball, where you had one weekday game and one like they they make the games at predictable times, where you know the game is going to be on a Wednesday and a, and a Saturday, a Wednesday and a Saturday. I think just cutting the league down to sixty games would certainly be a good idea. Just. You'd have more marquee matchups. The TV ratings would be better across the board. I mean, it's no coincidence the NBA's best TV ratings was during the lockout season of 2012-13, which was 66 games. Because every game mattered. Yeah, instead of 80, because every game by proxy was, quote-unquote, more important. So I would love to see the the NBA season cut down to, like, 56 games. You play every you play every other team in the league twice, 58 games. Yeah, like, not, not this weird schedule where it's like you play every other team in the opposite conference once, you play every team in your in your division within your conference, like, three or four times, and then... Four times, yeah. And then every other, then every other team in your conference twice. That's, like, I, I know they do it for, like, travel reasons, but, like, there's no point to do that in the year 2017. Cut it to 58. The players are healthier. There's no more of those stupid and unnecessary road back-to-backs to injure players. You don't get any more of the of players resting. Um, you can keep the season, the regular season, the same amount of time. Just cut the amount of games down to 58. Have more designated TV nights for games. And I think you're all set. Yeah, and, I mean, and with less games, you you could you could spread out the games, you know, in a way so more teams would get on TV. Exactly. Like who doesn't want to watch the Brooklyn Nets with D'Angelo Russell? <laughs> um, but you know, like I, I think I, I I personally would choose basketball out of the four. Um, yeah, in hindsight, I think it went with the NFL rather than the BFL. I think it was a typo when it was B and N right next to each other on the keyboard, but. Um, Fuck the NFL, basically. Um, at this point, uh, but football, yeah, for me, football is a fun sport. It's a shame that the people who run it are not as fun. Yeah, because Roger Goodell wants to be Judge Dredd. And like college football, like besides the whole you know player compensation thing, the just the environment of college football is amazing. Like every team has its own. Oh, yeah. Every team has this unique culture and unique look. I think that's something that a lot of sports misses out on. Where it's like Agreed. teams are actually different. Like they stadiums are clearly different. The fans are different. Like the way the teams play are vastly different, especially compared to the pro- professional football. Yeah, I can't argue any of that. That sounds just, like sound logic pay, to me. Just pay your damn players. <laughs> yes, then please, please, please stop telling players they have to choose between their football career and their fucking YouTube channel. <laughs> oh my um, God. That 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 would help. That would be that would be a good start. Um, but yeah, guys, I think we're done. I, I think we're done, and we haven't gone two hours. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my. This is a landmark moment in Motorsport 101 history. No, nah, I think it's a sign yeah. of the apocalypse. <laughs> the four and now, horsemen and now to finish it off, a a light reading of On Liberty by John Stuart Mill. No, shut no. Up. <laughs> shut up! Shut up! <laughs> no, as, as like a credit to how annoying college football can be, for the next fifteen minutes, on a loop, we'll play USC's tribute to Troy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just put like the audio version of John Boyce's video about Devry. We're serious about success. <laughs> We're serious about. <laughs>
<laughs> in, in, in their game against USC. Um, no, we'll, we'll call it a wrap on this one. We probably well, we did about an hour fifty, which is pretty, still pretty good for us. We've given there was almost nothing to talk about, but yet here we are. Hope you guys deeply enjoyed that one. Quick rundown one more time. We're on YouTube.com and Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport101. We're on Twitter.com at Motorsport underscore 101 and our personal Twitters at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, almost forgot the two Ks, and at RJ O'Connell. And if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101. We'll be back, I'll, I'll be back later in the week with Bike Live talking about all the news coming out of the Saxon ring as Mark Marquez continued his reign as King of the Ring with his eighth successive <laughs> Saxon Ring victory ahead of... Wait, what do you mean Jonas Volger finished in second? <laughs> um, Go Deutschland! All that. <laughs> all Deutschland. Um, so from me, from Ryan King and from RJ O'Connell, I've been Andre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next time for the Volger episode, number 94. Until then, sayonara. Hey, y'all. Bye. Bye. Woo! 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 Woo!